Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Welcome, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are, of course, featuring the eight-time Grand Slam champion. It was written that it was a seven-time Grand Slam. This guy's won eight majors. You know, however you slice it, seven singles, one doubles. He is the great Mats Vlander. Of course, we are also joined by one of the all-time greats in Texas Longhorn tennis history. He is a Longhorn Hall of Honor inductee, Johnny Levine. And guys, great to be here. Later in the show, you all are going to want to stay tuned because we are going to have an exclusive interview with Murphy Jensen, who probably everyone in the tennis world now knows that it's been about a year since he had what could have been a tragic accident, a heart attack on the court, concussions, you know, split his head open, fractured his skull, was in a coma. He'll tell you the whole story and where he is one year later. It is one of the most amazing stories that you will ever hear. But guys, let's start with what's going on right now in tennis. And Matt, you said it all along, and now she's saying it herself. Is she or isn't she? Serena Williams retired or not? Well, I think that she never came out and said it uh, uh, that she was 100% sure. She did say that she really likes the Australian summer. I think we all thought that she was done, but I think they 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 uh, they celebrated her so much at the U.S. Open that it was most probably tough for her to go out and say, hold on, guys, I'm not really. I mean, <laughs> really, what we were trying, and I was trying to tell Eurosport, let's be a little careful. But that doesn't mean that we weren't, we weren't supposed to celebrate Serena because you never know if you have a chance to celebrate her in her actual last match or last tournament, if that's fitting, if it's health reasons why she has to quit, whatever. So I think this was a great thing that happened at US Open. We got to celebrate her. Now, whether she plays again or not, um, I mean, she's playing at somebody that likes Australian summers. Maybe that's why she goes. But I think that she has passed... Uh, past the uh, time frame of being one of the favorites to win a major again. I'm not saying that she might not be able to, because with her game, it is possible still. But I think that now we're going to put her in as, uh, oh, great, if she plays another match or another tournament. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. I think she's a, <laughs> she's not in a very easy situation. But she's talked about it. It was, a, what is she say, an evolution is what her life is about. And her tennis. So maybe she plays one more tournament, too. Five, who knows? Maybe not next year, maybe in two years. But uh, she certainly was worth celebrating, and I was happy to be there to see it all. Johnny, do you think that when an athlete, be it a tennis player or an athlete in another sport, retires and unretires and comes back, and you know, unless that, that comeback from retirement is extraordinarily successful, that they risk – you know, tarnishing their legacy by maybe having hung around longer than they should have. Here's Johnny. I don't necessarily think so, Andy. I mean, it's possible, but when you look at, I mean, people don't realize that Borg made a comeback. I don't think anyone really even talks about that. Um, And he did very poor when he came back. It's really, really difficult. Um, I don't know that you can count on one hand successful uh, tennis players that have made comebacks 
Um, and certainly in many sports, I don't think you can count on one hand successful comebacks to at least the level that the athlete was originally. Matt, let me ask you this, because at one point uh, in the weekend, we were in Missoula, Montana for a pro-am. We'll talk a little bit about that when we, when we speak to Murphy Jensen. But at one point on the golf course, you made mention of, I'm just at barely at that level of fame where, and I can't even remember what it was in reference to, at, at what level of fame do you need to be to actually feel that it's necessary to announce a retirement? Did you have a formal retirement from tennis? I never retired from tennis, Andy and Johnny, officially. Okay. Better research next time, buddy. Um, I took a couple of years off in 91 and 92. I didn't play for two years, and I never thought about coming back, I must say. And most people would say that my comeback was a, a bit of a disaster. Although I got to 41 in the world from being ranked without any ranking points. To, to me personally, it was a good comeback. It was successful. I made a couple of semis, semis to the Canadian Open, beat a couple of top 10 guys. Um, so for me, it was successful. But I think for people that are watching it, I mean, to them, they assume that you're coming back to try and achieve what you achieved before. But for me, it wasn't at all. The reason I wanted to come back was was for the exact reasons that I quit. I quit because I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't motivated. And when I got back, I was motivated and I was having fun. No, I didn't train as hard. I didn't set goals up. My confidence wasn't anywhere close to. So for me to achieve anywhere close to what I did before then, which was, like you mentioned, winning seven majors and singles, one and double, that was never, ever in my mind. To me, it was successful because it took a sport that I used to love, and then I used to love to compete, and then you used to love to win, and then after that was done at 27 years old, I loved none of it. And I actually didn't like it. I didn't like traveling. And then I came back and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm having so much fun hitting the ball, so much fun competing, even though I was losing more than I was winning. So I think we have to be careful when we go, What's a, what is a successful comeback? Because we can't judge that through our own eyes. We have to let the competitor themselves come out and say, well, I think it's successful because I'm either having fun or I'm better at it. It put tennis back in my life to come back and play and, and not to get to 41 in the world, but just to drive around and enjoy professional tennis and then eventually teaching here with you talking about it. I mean, when I was 27, guys, if you asked me if I was ever going to do a podcast with a couple of American uh, uh, college players and <laughs> commentate for your sport, I say you are completely out of my mind, out of your mind. It is the last thing. I don't like this sport. I don't enjoy any of my enemies or competitors company anymore. And now I love them all, and I love to be part of it. So I think that uh, we have to be careful. And maybe Serena has – there's another um, another card she can play in terms of her enjoying tennis maybe more than before if she needs to play that card. I'm not sure. Maybe that's something that she wants to do as a mother to help teach her children life lessons through her endeavors on the court. Johnny, your last year on tour, if memory serves – was really, in many ways, your best. You were always a tremendous singles player, but I think you made the quarters of two majors and doubles your final year on tour and then fell in love with the woman that you're married to to this day and decided it was time to get a job, have a family, and know that you had done what was intended to be done with your tennis. Or, you know, we've never really talked about it. Did you feel like you 
left anything on the table and maybe wish you had stayed out there longer? Not really, Andy, because a year prior, I was very close to leaving the game. Okay. But something inside me said that I needed to stay out a little longer. Uh, But really, you know, the doubles was successful, but I I wasn't out there to play doubles necessarily. I mean, I really, the goal for me was singles. And when I felt that I couldn't really get higher and attain, uh, I wasn't, you know, to Matt's point, I wasn't enjoying it, um, you know, for various reasons. But the doubles to me was, was a less pressure situation. I really, really enjoyed playing doubles with Eric Corita, who was a, is a dear friend, was a dear friend. And obviously, you know, he's one of my closest friends. And so we had just a great time traveling. And I think that helped a lot, the enjoyment, but I, I, I wasn't looking to have a career just in doubles. Um, I felt it was time for me to, to move on, but um, it definitely was fun having the success that we had. And that sure was enjoyable. And I think to be able to leave the game on that note um, is really positive. And I think, I think I do need to stand corrected in the sense that, you know, on this retirement thing and coming back, Matt's was saying it really is, you know, it, it, the public viewpoint of, of someone retiring and coming back uh, as a failure because maybe they didn't attain the, the same ranking or do the same things. I, I just want to point out, I think Matt's makes such a great point that it's the individual. I mean, Matt's said he comes back and he has this true enjoyment of the game. To me, that is really a success. And so I think we need to be careful of the, of the judgment. I think Matt, Matt's just nailed it on that. Great point. And when we, let's go to break. And when we come back, you know, they're playing tennis over in Europe right now and the action's pretty hot and heavy. We had three great finals last weekend. We got a couple of good, good men's tournaments going on right now. The WTA tour finals are coming up. So let's get into what's going on. And then of course, you're going to want to stay tuned because in the last segment, we are going to be joined by Murphy Jensen. So you are listening to kickserveradio.com, part of tennis channel podcast network with Matt Lander, Johnny Levine and Andy Zoden. And we will be back right after this. AZ here, kickserveradio.com, and I'm joined by Paul Strata, and he is the developer of iPlayMeToo.com. Paul, it's a real-world tennis app for real-life scenarios. Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Andy. Yeah, so here at iPlayMeToo, we basically built the world's most useful tennis app for the players and for the club pros. And I think if you'd ask most players at clubs they'd like to play more if it were easy to get games to enter tournaments play in ladders so we've basically digitized all of the scheduling headache and all of the tournament and competition setup so it's as easy as ordering an uber and people can focus on playing and not trying to schedule and get a game in an advantage that you've got in the market from what I've seen is in the presentation of the results, people like seeing their name and lights. Talk a little bit about that side of the site. Clubs can run all kinds of tournaments and ladders and round robins, and the players can enter their own scores right there from their app. The players don't have to text their score to the club pro. They can actually enter it in their app. 
The app is I Play Me To, I Play Me, the number two dot com. The developer is Paul Strata. Paul, thank you so much. And uh, and best of luck with iPlayMeToo.com. All of us that have used it have enjoyed it very much and appreciate the hard work that you have put into it. You bet, Andy. Thanks so much. And anyone who has any questions, they can contact us at iPlayMeToo.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody. Kickserveradio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Matt's Johnny AZ. And guys, we're getting into that part of the season now for the pros that sometimes I wonder whether or not these guys are feeling like, can we get to Christmas already? And then there are others that are like, I wish this year could last a little bit longer because I'm really starting to find my footing. And we've seen some tremendous finals, Matt's. You know, t- take us through the the three finals because there were three really good ones this past weekend in men's tennis. Oh, it was unbelievable, and it's the the young guys are really that next generation, and we're not now uh, not really talking about Tsitsipas and Daniil Medvedev and Andrei Rublev, and of course we hope that uh, Alexander Sasha Zverev comes back as quickly as possible, and we're not even talking about Nick Kyrgios because th- that's the other generation, the generation behind them. Last week was unbelievable where uh, Lorenzo Musetti took out Matteo Berrettini in a a 250 event in Naples uh, or Napoli in Italy, outdoors on hard court. And that's a big, huge win for him, especially back home beating uh, the, uh, and I don't know if Berrettini is still number one in Italy, if Sinner has overtaken him, but certainly he's looked upon as the big brother. Felix Auge Aliasim, uh, took out Sebastian Corda in Antwerp in the European Open. Uh, and that was, he started winning every final suddenly, Felix Auger-Eliassin, because remember, guys, he lost eight finals in a row. Yeah, I don't think he even took a set in any of them. And there was a lot of talk uh, around town about him and playing the big points and big match. Well, he's turned it around and he won two events in a row. Uh, and then, of course, the Stockholm Open, where the favorite Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, who has won that event before, I believe, Got to the finals, was playing great, and then he comes up against a 19-year-old Holger Rune, the Danish guy, uh, who who made uh, the semis, no, made the quarters, the French Open quarters. My bad. And he took out Sitsipas six four six four. You cannot be serious. So the the the, the really really young generation is has broken through and they're starting to win tournaments. And this is what I was hoping I would see, that these younger guys, they, they jump, they leapfrog this generation of Tsitsipas Medvedev. And I'm not saying that they're going to be better than them all the time, but it's so nice when you see the likes of those guys winning tournaments because that just takes the, the possibility of them winning majors to a complete different level. Because if you haven't won a tournament and we're going to go to the Australian Open, and we start saying that Yannick Sinner is one of the favorites, or Musetti, or if they haven't won anything before, it's very tough to do that. So I'm 
happiest person in the world right now. I think it was from three great finals. Um, and um, I watched most of them. It was unbelievable. So, Johnny, we go from, you know, Stockholm and, and Antwerp. Now we're in Vienna and uh, and Basel. And we've had, you know, some some great matches already. Uh, Stan Wawrinka in front of the home crowd takes out Kasper Ruud. And uh, although Tommy Paul lost to Dominic Team 7-6 in the third, we're seeing Team looking like he's, you know, potentially back to make a run at things. What what else are we seeing? What are some of the interesting matches this coming week that we can look forward to? Well, when you talk about uh, the tournament that's going on right now, the ATP 500 in Basel, you've got Andy Murray, who, uh, you know, we talk about a guy that has been out of the game and coming back. And, you know, you have to look at, give that guy so much credit for the effort that he's made with that hip to come back and be so competitive back in the top 50, maybe even closing in on top 40 and winning matches and, and enjoying the game. And, you know, back to Matt's topic there, but so that's really exciting to see. And I, I think these, these two tournaments, they're 500s. They're very popular. The Vienna tournament has been around forever. It's a really popular tournament with the fans. They sell out. Uh, the players love that tournament. So it should be fun to see how both these, uh, these events shake out. Matt's, you know, we had Pat Cash on before the Australian Open last year, and he was coaching uh, Q Zhang, uh, I believe. And he talked about the locker room feeling as though these tournaments are now wide open as a result of what we saw from Leila Fernandez and Emirata Kanu playing in the final of the U.S. Open. And now we see Carlos Alcaraz win the U.S. Open, and we see Taylor Fritz now jumping into the top 10. We see Francis Tiafo making a run towards the top 10. We see a guy like Tommy Paul at times playing top 10 level tennis, maybe not quite. But is what Carlos Alcaraz did at the U.S. Open not only great for Carlos Alcaraz, but this younger generation? that you're, Is he their poster boy to kind of help them leapfrog this older generation that you referred to? He definitely is supposed to ball, but I think it's really essential that you have other 19-year-olds like Holger Rune that steps up to the plate and, and actually does win and beat a, a solid top tenor in Stefanos Tsitsipas in two sets. That's huge. Uh, but I've mentioned another player, which is Leo Borg. Yeah. Leo Borg Bjorn and Patricia Borg's son got a wild card at the Stockholm Open, uh, and he, he played the defending champion, Tommy Paul, and he won the first set, uh, I believe, 7-5, and then he lost the second 6-4, and he was at some point uh, less than eight points away from winning the match, and then he lost in the third set, of course. He's 19 years old, and I'm tell- I-, I bet you that him watching Carlos Alcaraz, who I'm sure he's played a bunch uh, in the juniors and in the under-16 and under-14, I'm sure that's helped his confidence, but... I called Bjorn the night before, and I was like, okay, I know he's, he's on, whatever. I didn't get to speak to him, but then, uh, uh, then Bjorn left me a message afterwards, and, and this is a, a tennis parent who has done it all, and I like his response to me. He said, he said something like, well, it was a bit of a tragedy, and there goes more trains, which is a very Swedish saying. There's another train you can catch. So when I heard that message, I'm like, what the hell happened in the match? Because I missed most of it. I'm like, what? That doesn't sound that good. No, it's someone who's won six French and five Wimbledon <laughs> who is downplaying that his son nearly beat the defending champion because he's not looking at results. 
he's looking at the level of tennis that his son is playing and he realizes that he's really close and let's not jump uh, up and down just because he was nearly beating. He didn't beat him. Got no ranking points for winning the first set and got no ranking points for getting close in the second. So I think that is is great for someone like Leo Borg. Can you imagine the pressure that he must have felt at some point in his life? And I think if you can downplay any success he's having until he starts winning tournaments and matches, I think it's good. He's close. He's not there. You just got to keep trying hard. But, yes, the 19-year-olds, they're coming, and it's, it's so exciting. Johnny, before I get to you, I want to just piggyback off of something you said there, because as you're describing Borg as a tennis parent, Archie Manning comes to mind as a football parent. And Archie Manning, who is the father of Peyton and Eli Manning, was known to not only not interfere with the coaches that were trying to coach his sons, but literally they would solicit advice from him. And at one point they were all meeting in one of the coaches' living rooms and they said, well, what do you think about that, Archie? And he was sound asleep. He just started, he was, all they could hear was him snoring. And I kind of <laughs> see, I kind of see Borg in that same light. And I, and I, I, I say that, Matt's in a very endearing way that Borg knows what he knows and he knows what he doesn't know. And it would seem to me he would be the, 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 the prototypical let the coaches do their job kind of guy. Is that fair to say? No, it's 100% fair to say. And I, I really do think that we, we, of course, since we brought up Serena Williams and the Williams sisters, there are, there are, there are many ways where, where tennis players can come up through, through the childhood, through upbringing, wh- whatever the situation is at home. But I do think that the, when you have knowledge like Bjorn, I don't think you share your knowledge with your son unless he asks you. Because if you tell him, then there is that amount of pressure. And, and one percentage per point of pressure from your parent is bad, is bad. And there are some kids that can deal with it, but on average, you want to share your knowledge if you get asked. But if it has to be the parents that push through and they're telling the kid what to do and how to play, that kid is, on in general, not going to be successful. It's got to come from inside. And that's what Borg is trying to tell me in that little message is he's not getting overexcited. Kid's good. He's got a big game. And uh, he didn't win the match, but it was, it was a bit of a tragedy. Could have won it, but we're not jumping up and down. Johnny, last last word to you on this segment before we come back and talk to Murphy Jensen. But I've watched you interact with your boys. I've watched Matt's interact with his kids. And I've been extremely impressed with the way you guys sort of take this Bjorn Borg-esque approach to being a parent and a friend, but not being overbearing in any way, shape, or form. And now I see... Matt's you with your four grown kids and Johnny, you with your three grown boys and the beautiful relationships and the healthy relationships that you guys have. And that is just indicative of having done it the right way when they were younger. So, so well done. Talk, talk about that. Well, you know, I mean, every parent relationship with their kid is different and I think there's different philosophies and um, you know, whether, you know, how, how much you push your kid or, you know, if they show a little talent, I mean, there's support and then there's, you know, going too far. And, um, you know, it depends on, on, on the kid and the, the level that they have. And, and you look at, uh, you know, a- Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf have, have a son that's a, a tremendous baseball player. And I think they, 
we're not too excited about putting him into tennis. Um, I, I think when you start pressuring a kid, you know, and, and the kid feels like he has to play that sport and, 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 and they don't really find what they really want to do. And I think when you give them the breathing room to play, you know, other sports and things like that, if they show some talent in one, but they really want to do it themselves, then you can kind of nurture that and encourage that and support that. It's got to come from the kid. The kid has to be independent. They have to figure this stuff out on their own. And, you know, the support and, and giving them the opportunities is, is to me is great, but that's where it should end. And the, and your, and your, your seven children are very fortunate to have had world-class athletes for fathers like they do. And I've actually, just by being friends with you guys, I've learned a lot that I take onto the court with the students and the kids that I teach. So thank you for those life lessons, both of you. And speaking of life lessons, oh my, are you about to hear some from the one and only Murphy Jensen, who a year ago at this time, the lights went out and they almost didn't come back on. So you're going to hear an amazing story with, uh, with a beautiful happy ending and a beautiful outcome. So stay with us. Murphy Jensen joins Matt's and myself. And you are listening to kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Definitely do not go away. Nestled in the spectacular Sun Valley area in Haley, Idaho, Matt's V-Lander Tennis allows athletes like you and me to train inside so that we can excel outside. Matt's V-Lander now owns Gravity Fitness and Tennis. And let me tell you, Gravity is the premier fitness and tennis club in the Sun Valley area. They have it all, including indoor tennis, lots of high quality training equipment in a clean and bright, spacious workout area. But most importantly, let's talk about the tennis. You will be trained by one of the all time greats in the sport of tennis. After my clinic with Matt's, every time I step on the court, I hear that focused intensity in that charming Swedish accent reminding me of all the techniques that improve my game and get results. So grab your family, your friends, or the whole tennis team and head out to Haley, Idaho for a tennis experience of a lifetime. Go to mattsvlandertennis.com to find out what's in store for you when you get to Gravity Fitness and Tennis in beautiful Haley, Idaho. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi guys, Sarah Z here with a kick serve, quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say more advanced or more experienced in our life, our fitness levels take a hit if we're not careful, don't they? You know, Sarah, they do, unfortunately, and I highly suggest supporting your activities at every stage. 
pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout. So you want to think about a pre-workout. We have a product called Endgame, and that basically will allow you to increase your energy and focus during your workout. And then intra-workout is almost just as critical. So we have branched-chain amino acids called BCAA311. And that's a perfect product to allow your body to almost refuel while you're working out. It's a super hydrator as well as a muscle recovery while you're working out. And then finally, protein is critical post-workout and BodyFuse Lean Protein is one of the highest quality proteins on the market. Very, very effective, a slow, long burn, six to eight hours after ingestion and after that workout. So your energy, you're not, you're not going to crash and your energy continues. You're feeding your muscles and you just feel Great. So with these three elements, pre, intra, and post-workout, you're really going to support yourself at all stages in any activities, in intense workouts, tennis matches, body strength conditionings, uh, sessions, etc. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickserve Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And Matt Svelander and I are now joined by the great Murphy Jensen. And Murph, I got to tell you, it's it's so good to see you one year later, almost to the day that you had, you know, it's hard to even say it, but a near-death experience. Now, maybe it is and maybe it isn't a coincidence that what happened to you happened at the Garden of the Gods because effectively your life was in the hands of the gods. I know I speak for myself and Matt's and the rest of the tennis world when I tell you how happy we all are to see you in the spirits and in the shape that you're in. What is life like a year after that episode? Andy and Matt, it's an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast today. And uh, they call it in the uh, heart world, uh, heart disease world, uh, a rebirth. I have a rebirth day coming up. The night before uh, uh, my actual birthday, October 30th, I went down going for a first serve in the second game. I smiled at my brother because I found myself in the best fitness probably in my life, even better when I was playing doubles with my brother Luke in Paris 100 years ago, and I was going to kick his butt. And I was smiling, and I went up for my first serve. And the lights went out, and I was like a statue on the top of a trophy. Wow. They tell me. And Luke thought it was part of a prank. And then I go back, and I fractured my skull on five places. By the grace of the Garden of the Gods Resort, there was a a fire chief on hand, um, four uh, off-duty medical professionals, two doctors, two nurses that realized right away what had happened and were on me within 10 seconds. They break my ribs and sternum. They performed compression and CPR. And the fire chiefs had uh, showed shown Luke, who had just been named the director, where the AED was, uh, automated external defibrillator, 
And and the fire chief says, where's the defibrillator? And Luke beelined it to that, right, behind the, the curtain of the indoor courts, grabbed the defibrillator, the continued compression and CPR. They shocked me four times on the court. I had flatlined, blood's leaking from my, my head. And uh, the fire chief said, and this is important to the story, he said, uh, talk to your brother. And uh, he says, uh, um, Murphy, I need you. Murphy, Duke, your son, Billy needs you. Your wife, Kate, needs you. I need you. Jensen's never quit. This is not your time. And you could have heard him five states away. He wasn't talking. He was screaming because uh, his brother had basically had sudden cardiac death in that moment. And uh, something that's really uh, meaningful for you to, to hear. And then, and then I was... Uh, the ambulance arrived 18 minutes later, still no heartbeat, steady heartbeat, and they continued compression CPR. They shocked me two more times in the ambulance, a total of six times, and then they found a pulse in my ankle and, and a, a steady rhythm. Wow. And they induced me in a coma at the emergency room. and But the uh, where, where the magic happened is when they induced me in this coma for six days, they weren't sure what Murphy they're going to get back. And I still have close to 1,800 unread text messages in my phone. And there's someone on this call, including yourself, Andy. Um, Matt's note, note to me meant the world to me. When I eventually got home, uh, he had texted me and said that uh, you're a fighter and that you're not going to quit and you're going to come through this and you're going to recover. And uh, I can't wait to spend some time with you soon. Um, I hope you can hear me, Matt. I love you to the moon and back. And I love you too, Andy, because you were there for me too. The whole tennis world was there for me. And um, the first question I had for a therapist was why I was still here. So um, I'm here to be with you guys tonight. Murphy, thanks for those kind words. Yeah, no, no, no. we, We always knew you were a fighter. But to me, it's... You know, things happen, there are accidents and there are coincidences, and I think that you have a much better chance in coming through these situations, and I don't know when it comes to to sudden cardiac arrest, but the spirit, to me it's all about the spirit, the spirit of the person often brings you through these 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 uh, messy situations, and I even sometimes tell my friends uh, when something bad happens that, well, we're all part of statistics, and if there are a hundred people that suffer from cardiac, there's going to be a hundred people. It just has to be the right hundred for the, for those hundred to come through. And Murphy, you're, you're definitely one of those guys. So I believe in, I believe in uh, the higher power in many ways when, when these situations come, but obviously we realize that you're really lucky now to a very funny story that I heard your brother Luke tell me in Missoula uh, uh, Murphy was that you, they, they very shortly after or sometime after they did some kind of, a cognitive um, a test for you. And Luke said, you're better now than you were before your accident. How do you explain that? That's what I want to know. Are, you, are, you, are you cleaner? Are you more sane now than we know? But has life taken on a different meaning, basically, is the serious question here for you. No question I am better now. And no question, uh, the answer is yes, life has taken on new meaning and I'll never be the same again. I have lived every day like it's my last. Uh, I suffered from concussions in my fall. 
And they weren't sure, like Luke said, what Murphy they're going to get back. Was he going to have brain damage or was he paralyzed because I wasn't responsive to pain? But by the grace of that higher power and, and Michael Milken and I were having a conversation, speaking of hundreds, a thousand people a day uh, lose their life to cardiac arrest every 90 seconds. And the AED saved my life. And the knowledge of CPR and compression in real time saved my life. And most people come back to say that I, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this. I think you are uh, both aware of this. I'm in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. And my recovery has been a, been a process of a psychic change, you know, where I could look the world in the eye and forgive myself and uh, and it's been the process of learning how to love myself. But this event took that psychic change a whole nother level. Um, I know what I need to give myself to be effective human being for those around me. I feed my cells, whether it's uh, self-love through an affirmation while I'm going for a run. You know, you're enough, Murphy. Uh, I am enough. I am worthy. I am lovable. I am loving. I, uh, I'm giving, you know, these, these things I fed my soul for the last 12 months every day. And at first I couldn't lift a water bottle. I was so weak. I'd lost 30 pounds. All my muscle had been atrophied. I couldn't walk three feet and the cognitive ther uh, test they were doing. I went back to what my therapist had me do for, uh, uh, stress which is uh, take a bowl of water or anxiety, fill it with uh, ice, and almost go uh, do a bath, uh, a face bath. It, it activates these uh, VEDA nerves that uh, relieves anxiety and whatnot. It's kind of like a facial polar plunge. And that got my brain function back. I was supposed to spend two more weeks in the ICU and within minutes. And now, speaking of my better than I was before, without doubt, um, because I cherish every moment. Every moment and total strangers might see me walking down the street. And when I talk to them, like I'm nuts, but you know, I've been given another chance and, and I'm well aware of it. When I see the videos of myself lying in a coma and my wife sitting there and Gavin Rossdale singing me some of my favorite songs and Andre Agassi calling me, calling my brother three times a day and praying for me. And, and, uh, even first grade friends, you know, loving on me and praying for me. So Michael Milken said the force was behind me. He says, you ever seen the movie Star Wars? I said, yeah. And he says, well, you have the force. Like Matt's was saying, you got the spirit, man. <laughs> and I've got so much to live for. And maybe it was the in a weird, screwed up way, a way the universe was going to give me uh, a, a timeout from me. You know, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty driven um to uh, to helping others but um in this capacity i got a year to uh take care of myself you know and then allow others to take care of me and allow myself the space to to heal no matter murphy how much you talk about feeding yourself and feeding your own soul you can't help but be the brightest light in the room wherever you go and I don't think that there's anybody that's going to listen to this podcast that's not shaking their head with affirmation of that. Do you feel like you have changed in that regard as a result of all this? 
No doubt. I mean, what I've gone through, I've grown through. And, uh, you know, what I thought was the worst thing that could have happened to me in 1999 with the birth of my first son. And I, the solution I had between my ears was to, uh, uh, with the birth, you know, I was to jump out of the U.S. Open while out of a window of my hotel at the U.S. Open. Instead of a hotel manager calling the police, he called an interventionist and I uh, got help. And I, 23 years later, that that baby that was born is uh, just graduated with honors from Seattle University and he's at film school. And we have a contract that he's not not allowed to uh, make a, fil- a film that's going to uh, say how screwed up your dad is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking before this. Um, yeah, there's so much, so many lessons that I don't know about you, Mats or Andy, but I've learned more from my losses than from my wins. No doubt. And, and it's not about forehands and backhands I've discovered. It's about... Um, for me personally, it's uh, like my life has been about an inside job. You know, I really, and where did my fears and doubts and insecurities come from? Um, and uh, I was really connected to my brother, Luke, in a way that's really, it was really magical, but in some ways unhealthy, because I sought his approval in a big way. And if he were having a bad day, and now he can be pissed off and have all the bad days he wants, and it's not my fault. <laughs> but I would, I would, you know, be a people pleaser. You know, I found out a lot of things about myself through my recovery, and it's that information that has uh, set me free um, and allowed myself uh, and uh, to be forgiven. You know, and I don't walk around with the guilt and shame um, uh, or remorse. Um, but uh, this life is uh, uh, fragile that we're living in. And, uh, you know, this cardiac arrest and, and, and my wife and I will celebrate in a, in a very mellow way because we don't want my heart to get too excited. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not easy for a Jensen brother to be cool, but I'm going to do my best. But so much of it, you know, and, and what's really... Uh, uh, what, what what touches my heart is that uh, you know I you know Mats you you've been an example for me in the in the best of ways since day one and day one you don't even know this but you played the Indianapolis uh, U.S. Clay Courts right after I think winning the French Open and I was playing as a 15 year old maybe qualifying and I lost uh, probably first round. <laughs> And uh, I, I watched your match because the, the, the player's lounge was beneath the court and you could see through those glass windows and you're out there with your tikini or whatever and your Rossignol and, and, and I'm studying, like I studied Borg with the what kind of gold bracelet. You didn't have one, but Borg had that gold necklace and I had a gold necklace, maybe Matzel. Anyway, you were getting transportation because you were actually in the tournament. I'm out of the tournament <laughs> and I'm kind of freeloading on the free food. <laughs> and and I just followed you out to the car because I'd never been to a pro tennis tournament before. And you looked at me and you said, hey, you're going back to the hotel? And I'm not even at the hotel. <laughs> I'm probably sleeping in the van. I don't know. And I'm like, yes, I am. And uh, I jump in the back seat with Mots and we head to the whatever hotel, which I don't have a room <laughs> and it's Mats and I'm Murphy and, and, and I'll never forget that. Wow. And I'm like, 
God, I want to do this. I want to play this game of tennis. And, you know, really cool. That Murphy, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, what place is tennis going to take for you, Murphy, going forwards? Because obviously you're always going to be invited to the kind of outings that we just came from uh, – Uh, that Scott Potter put on, put on up in Missoula, Montana for the Watson's Children's Shelter. I mean, with your spirit and, and with your uh, uh, tennis credibility, I mean, you can be invited to everything. What, what, what's, what does tennis look like in the future of, uh, of you now? Is it going to take a back seat to all of this or, or is, are you going back to the thing that maybe you know the most about at the end of everything? I don't know if there's anything we know more yeah. about than actual tennis or hitting a tennis ball. Yeah. I, I, you know, I measure success and uh, true success is using that whatever talent or skills I have to benefit others in whatever capacity. So, You know, the Watson shelter there in Missoula, Montana, man, I sit in there and I have a little meditation. I sat on the playground and it's impossible not to say, you know, where I sit today is I, I always want to know what's the money being raised for? How can I be of service? And, uh, you know, I think my future is going to lie, uh, be geared toward children You know, using my tennis in any capacity, I think, you know, it's really interesting, Mats. When I worked in tennis and TV, I, I, I really struggled to get on TV. And <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. now that I'm not in tennis and not into TV, ESPN and doing some cool stuff, you know. And it's my um, mess, in so many words, has become my message. And, and, and my mess has affected so many families and lives around the world. And mental health, it sits on the forefront. And Andy and I had a great conversation the other day. And mental health for the children, how we teach them on the tennis court. But what about for the coaches and the trainers and, and those people? We all, it's called the human condition. And so, you know... By accident, I sit in this seat where I believe for any human, the sky's the limit, you know, and the way I'm going to navigate Wednesday, which I'll just follow the calendar, but, um, you know, there's children that's really important to me. Currently, I, I co-founded a company called We Connect Health Management, which is a digital app solution that has support and services and support group meetings for anyone dealing with substance use disorder or mental health challenges that has anxiety, depression, um, technology will never replace human connection. I've learned so much, Mots, in these eight years building WeConnect and the people we serve and the problems they face and, um, you know, So where does it go? I mean, tennis will always be there. I'll be honest with you. I've fallen in love with tennis in a way that maybe I should have always, uh, the relationship I have with it today is the relationship I should have always had with it. Um, I, in so many words, played to be with my brother, not to play tennis. Had Luke been a pump gas or truck drove trucks for a living, I would have done that because I wanted to be with my brother. Now I'm playing because of the joy of the ball. And I see Mott's playing for like three or four hours straight and still running side to side and grinding with whoever. I, I've fallen in that space. My tennis in the last year has uh, helped my brain function. Yeah. Not that I didn't, it needed help before, but, you know, it helped me with the concussions. It helped me with cognitively. Um, I had uh, trouble with loud noises and unsafe environments. And that tennis helped me uh, get my stability back. 
And I, I, I don't care about winning or losing. I really care about uh, being present and feeling the tennis ball. And I, Luke and I played for uh, six weeks straight from June 15th to after Wimbledon for another four weeks. Two sets every day like we were kids. Wow. No warm-up, Mots. It's hard when you're our age to play with no warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> it serves a little stiff. And um, we had so much fun. We were like children that weren't cheating anymore. We didn't care. <laughs> and we didn't beat each other up because Luke knees, Luke's knees are bad. And we didn't care. And we, you know, we just had so much fun. And and now that I know what I know, um, this is how it's got to be. It should yeah. be this way when I'm 12 or 13. Mott's actually told me something in an interview we did, had done a long time ago with Tennis Channel. He said, uh, I said, what were your goals? Were your goals to win the French? And he goes, yeah, you know, I, if, I really didn't make goals. And you may, uh, you know, not remember this, but he said, but if I did have a goal, it was really just to be, see how good I could get, you know? And if I had made a goal to win one slam, I probably wouldn't have won all these uh, that I won in all these tournaments. And I just, if it had been to... Uh, if as good as I could get would be a college player, that'd have been okay. But I just want to try to keep getting better, keep getting better, keep getting better. And that's how I look at my life today. You know, I, I've lifted weights. I'll go for a uh, two-mile run here after this, and, um, and I'll go to bed. And I've checked a couple of boxes because I got a little bit better today. Well, before you go off on that run, let's real quick, getting back to Scott Potter's event, let's give shouts out to, obviously, you guys. Luke Jensen, Robert Kendrick, Jesse Witten, Brenda Schultz McCarthy for giving of their heart the way they did. What an incredible event for, you know, just a lowly teaching pro like myself to be around you guys. And that keeps us very inspired to be able to play in and amongst you guys and see how you all do it at the highest level. But Murphy, I want to close by just saying that you asked me a question last year, which was really kind of surprised me. And you said, why are you always so nice to me? And I thought that was kind of a funny question because I'm like, why would somebody not be? This guy is one of the true shining stars, one of the true unique spirits in the sport of tennis. And having you on with us like this one year later, it is so uplifting for me. The weekend, you know, we had talked a couple of times between, you know, last year and now, but actually seeing you and being there and being able to hang out and, and recreate that weekend. I mean, it, it did everybody's heart so much good. So thanks for still being here. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing. And I speak on behalf of the whole sport of tennis when we say we love you and and uh, stick around a while, will you? I'm not going anywhere. I love you guys, too. Wishing you a blessed uh, rest of your year. Thank you, Murphy. Thank you. Great to see you. You too, Mats. For Mats Vlander, Johnny Levine, Andy Zoden, and, of course, the one and only Murphy Jensen, this has been KickServeRadio.com part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and we look forward to speaking to you again real soon.